as we continue in our studies, we will be looking at events 82 through 94. So what we have been describing thus far is the events that took place in the third and the beginning of the fourth uh, Passover during the ministry, the public ministry of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So during this final phrase, what we face, I should say, is what we find is that he is spending more time in and around Jerusalem where he's uh, going into the city and he's teaching and then he's uh, returning to the north when the situation became too dangerous, let's say, for him to continue teaching there. So we pick up this account today of our Lord, and he is teaching in the northern part of the country. Now, at this particular time, there are some important feasts that are coming up, and they're coming up rather quickly for him. And uh, he finds that it's time to leave the relatively safety of his home, his home area, and venture again into Jerusalem so he can do more teaching and so that he can help individuals see what his true mission is, what his true uh, identity is, and he needs to talk to the people there in Jerusalem. So then, uh, event 82 describes one such dynamic appearance where Christ Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's there during the Feast of of tabernacles or the feast of booths. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come together today, Father, to, to, to participate in the study of your word. Heavenly Father, may we listen and may we glean from it, Father, because there are lessons for us to learn. Lessons that, uh, that when you first look at them, that you may not think is that important, but when you think about it, they are very important. So, Father, let us come together today and study. Father, be with those who are not able to be here. Be with those who are home and, and joining us online. Father, be particular with those who are sick and shut in. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So the Feast of Tabernacle, then, was a celebration that commemorated several things. It, it commemorated the blessings of harvest as well as the time that was spent in the desert during the Exodus. Uh, the name booths or tabernacles come from the booths that was made from tree boughs and um, branches that the people lived in during the seven days of the feast. And what we find is it was one of the three annual feasts that every male had to attend. And it came to the end, it came at the end of fall, I should say. And it was a time of celebrating. And we find that Jews today, Jews today still celebrate this feast by building booths in their yard. They build them on their porches. During this time, we find that Jesus is in Galilee and his brothers do something. His brothers taunt him to come to the feast to prove that he is the Messiah. And Christ Jesus refused to be uh, provoked into doing this. But what we find is this right here. Christ Jesus goes, but he goes in secret. He doesn't tell them that he's going. And while he's there, he observed that the people had a divided opinion about him. Some said that he's evil. Some said that he's an imposter. 
Some said that he's a good man. Now, in those three things that was just said, what didn't they say? I'm sorry? That he's Lord. Everything but that. And even Josiah, when you read his writings, he, was, he has a place in his writing that says he was a good man. But they weren't saying that he was Lord. So to clarify their opinion then, he stands up publicly and begins to teach them on several occasions. And what is he teaching them? He is teaching them that, um, he is teaching them that first by, you might say he's accusing them and teaching them at the same time because he's accused, he accuses them of trying to kill him, trying to kill the one who has come forward to bring them the word of God. He says that he is sent directly from God. He reminds them that where I am, you cannot go. And he reminds them that by saying, let him come to me and drink. Now, all of these references is to declare something. It's to declare that he is from God, that he is equal to God. Now, something happened with this right here. It is for this reason that the leaders send soldiers to arrest him, but we find that they cannot carry out their mission because of his teaching. And when the soldiers came back empty-handed, Again, there is a dispute among the leaders, and we find one who stood up to defend him, and that was Nicodemus. And when Nicodemus stood up to defend Christ Jesus, the other leaders quickly shut him down. They quickly shut him down. Event 83. So the Lord leaves the temple. And he goes to the Mount of Olives. And in the Mount of Olives, there's a park there that we are familiar with. It's Gethsemane. This is where he, um, he would later pray before his arrest. And he spends the night there, and he returns to the temple the next day. Now, the Pharisees, they're still after him, so they try a new line of attack. This time, they're trying to turn the people against him. So what do they do? They bring a woman to him that was caught in the very act of an adulterous affair, and they bring him to Christ Jesus and ask him, what should we do with her? Oops, I already flipped that one. So in his response, if he responds, well, according to the Mosaic law, he tells them to stone her. If he does that, they will accuse him of being unmerciful, unkind, unjust. But they will also accuse him of violating Roman law because you have executed someone without permission. You're a Jew and you can't do that. If he tells them to let her go, and now they're saying he's too liberal. He's too liberal and the people will turn against him. So what does Christ Jesus do? He turns the table on them instead. He turns the tables on the Pharisees by challenging them to consider who among them are truly worthy to judge this woman. Because he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And when they realize that according to law and conscience, none of them are worthy, what do they do? They leave. Then Jesus, who is worthy to judge her, does so by first forgiving her of her sin and encouraging her not to sin any longer in this manner. And to the crowds, he proves his unassailable wisdom. To the woman, he demonstrates the mercy of God. Now, I want you to hold a, hold a thought in mind just for a moment because we're going to come back to this with a question. He couldn't 
execute her without Roman permission. And the execution would have been in the form of stoning. So hold on to that thought. Oops. So event 54, Jesus teaches again in the temple. So once the meeting with the woman is over, Jesus again begins to teach the crowd concerning his identity, and he responds to their questions and and their attacks. He teaches things such as, I am the light of the world. Where I am going, you cannot come. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You are, my, you are of your father, the devil. Before Abraham was, I am. These and other teachings concerning his true identity as the, divine, as the divine son of God and the Messiah provoked these individuals to such frenzy that they took up stones and tried to kill him on the spot. But he escaped. Here's the question. If with the woman... Christ Jesus has said, stone her. Basically, they're saying, you're executing her. And that's against Roman law. Was murder legal in Roman law? Because if they had stoned him because of their anger, wouldn't they have been murdering him? So they're acting as if it's okay to do this, but it's not okay to do that. Is there a difference between the two? Is there a difference between murder and execution? Were you going to say something, Tony? Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's one and the same as a matter of the heart. And for the person, the, the subject, I guess the main player, they're just as dead. Let's face it. The main player is just as dead. So event, 50, event 85. Uh, so Jesus has left the temple area, and he left that area before safety's sake because they were trying to hurt him. And you, as I said, he escaped when they were tr- attempting to stone him. But he left that area, but he continued to minister in the area, right? So what he does is he heals a man who was born blind. And when this fact is presented to the Jewish leaders, something interesting happened. They accept that the miracle is genuine, but they continue to reject him. What do you call that kind of mindset? Yeah, you're genuine, but you're not. (laughs) What do you call a mindset like that? What's that? Hypocrite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's the best one I can think of too. Hypocrite. Yeah, because it, it's, it's not making sense. Yeah, that's a genuine miracle. We know it can only come from God, but we're not going to accept you coming from God. We're not going to accept you. So there was a significance in this, and there was two reasons here that makes this significant. First of all, the healing of the man who was born blind from birth, this was the first time it was ever done. And it was a definitive sign that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
And still they rejected this clear demonstration of who he is. Number two, the healing was a living parable that pointed to those religious leaders. It pointed to their own blindness in the spiritual world. And how God was opening their eyes, opening the eyes rather of the simple and shutting the eyes of the proud. This sign was a judgment directly on the Jewish leaders and teachers who should have been able to see it but weren't seeing it, who should have seen but remained blind. Oops. 86. Here we have a discourse on the Good Shepherd. So Jesus' final teaching in the temple area before returning north after the feast was about the good shepherd. He was plainly, he has plainly declared who he was and that his time was near. The time was, was near for his death and his resurrection. And he is forcing the individuals to do something. He is forcing them to choose who they will follow. Russ, I hope you don't mind. Remember in class Thursday, we, we were talking about um, who you follow and where you end up. You know, you follow your leader in heaven or you follow your leader in hell, uh, something like that. So he was making them make that choice. He's for, and really, he's forcing us to make the choice, too. Are we going to follow Christ Jesus and spend an eternity in heaven? Or are we going to follow Satan and spend an eternity in hell? Because there's no suburb in the middle where we can say, well, I wasn't exactly over here and I wasn't exactly over there, so I hang up right here. There's nothing in the middle. There's heaven and there's hell when, when judgment comes. So he's, he's making them choose who they will follow. He declares that he, Christ Jesus, is the good shepherd and those who follow him following the right leader this was a rebuke to the Jewish leaders why because they were leading the people at the time and people who were following them were not following the correct leader so it's interesting to note that after his final speech and this invitation to follow him there is still division over who he is some believe he was possessed Others who knew about the healing of the blind man, they were impressed. Because one is impressed with something you do, does that mean that they are actually going to follow you and listen to you? What do you think? I see a no here. Anybody else? No over here? No. We are impressed with a lot of things. But that doesn't mean we go follow that. So we got some people who, <laughs> who believed he was possessed, and you got others who were just impressed, but they, weren't, they were still rejecting. Yet with all of his teaching and great miracles, there was still doubt, there was still division among the people. As we go through this, I want you to think of something for me while we're doing this. I want you to think from what you've heard thus far, what lessons, I want two of them if we can, what two lessons can we gain from what we're talking about right now? What two lessons? Simple to the point. So, 87.
we have the final departure from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting here. There doesn't seem to be any transitional explanation of, of Jesus leaving Jerusalem and going back up north. So what we find in this next scene is that he is back in Galilee. He's between two feasts right now, the fall feast of Booths and the uh, winter feast of dedication. And at this point, we see him preparing for yet another trip to Jerusalem to teach in the temple. And he can do this now because you know how it is, out of sight, out of mind. People cool down after a while, and they're, they're no longer so angry. So he's able to go back again. So during this trip, there are some who want him to go. There are some who want to go with him. And it's, he, it's here that he warns them of the cost of discipleship. And he, he taught this after one of them said he needed to go and attend a funeral. He needed to go bury his, bury his father before he come with Jesus. How serious is discipleship? All of us in here, if we're Christians, we are, we're disciples of Christ. We're followers of Christ. How serious is that? How serious has it been for you then? Or how serious do you know it to be? Was your hand up? Life or death? Yeah. The most important thing you can do in life? Yeah, it's to follow Jesus, yeah. And some of us can attest to this. Not all of our family members were thrilled with us. And some still may not be thrilled with us. A lot of our friends are no longer thrilled with us. If you're going to do that kind of stuff, hey, don't be coming around here. So discipleship is serious business. So Jesus warns those, warns that those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. So after the warning to those who would be disciples, what Jesus does is he chooses seven of his present followers and he empowers them to preach and minister to the people. They return reporting that their special gifts were effective in healing. They were effective in casting out demons. And Jesus reminds them that their true joy, that there's a true joy in all of this and there's a true security in all of this and it's in the fact that their names are written in the book of life. So what do we have now? We started out with the 12 apostles. Now we have 70 special disciples who are preaching and ministering in the area and they're casting quite, they're causing quite a stir. And, but at the same time, they're preparing for Christ Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem. Which takes us to number 89. During this time, Jesus presents a parable in response to a question from a scribe who, who wanted to justify himself in regards to keeping the law. You see, this individual thought that the important provisions of the law concerning love and obedience, it only pertained to the Jews, the Jews only. But Jesus teaches them the parable of the Good Samaritan in order to show that God's love is universal. God's love is universal. God's love applies to everyone, not a select few. Everyone be, will be judged 
by God based on their obedience to him and their treatment of others. He reminds them that before God, all are neighbors and worthy of love. And we remember the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your might. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone will be judged by God based on these things. Which takes us to number 90. Jesus visits Mary and Martha in Bethany. Now, this was where Jesus would normally stay when he went to that area, when he went to Jerusalem. It was only a few miles from the city, and he would normally stay there. And it's during this occasion, as you remember, Martha asked Jesus to tell Mary, stop doing what you're doing and come help me. Come, move away from Jesus and come help me with what I'm doing here with the servant. But Jesus shows them that being with him is the best choice. Being with him is the best place they could be, and he would no way force her or push her away from this preferred position. At the same time, the disciples asked him to help them pray. And Jesus teaches them. Now, we're looking here at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 11, uh, 13, but he But Jesus also teaches them here how to pray, but he's also referring back to Matthew 6 at verse 9. Event 91, Jesus cures another demoniac. Now, what we're going to find here when we're reading this section of Scripture, Matthew 11, uh, verses 14 through 54, that this passage, in this passage, the cure is hardly talked about here. Luke describes in detail the reaction of the people and the Pharisees who witnessed the miracle. Again, some accuse Jesus of using Satan's powers to do all of these miracles and healings. Others wanted more signs the Pharisees continued to attack him on points of ceremony and tradition. Remember last week we were talking about the washing of hands and how they attacked Christ Jesus in that matter. As Jesus' ministry nears its end, his miracles provoked confusion among the doubters, but not only that, it provoked anger among his enemies. Jesus responded by rebuking them. He responded by warning them that they risk condemnation, that they risk punishment because of their disbelief. 92. So Jesus is being attacked. He is being opposed by the leaders. And at this point, people are unsure of him and who he is. So what does he do? He encourages and comforts his disciples. And it is a difficult period for them. So what was he saying to them? He's saying, be careful of the Pharisees. He's telling them that the truth will come out one day and there will be no confusion. He's telling them to fear God and not man. He's telling them that God loves you and will care for you. He's telling them that God will provide what to say and how to respond during persecution. So what is he doing here? Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for his death and his resurrection. 
he's beginning to prepare them for the difficult times that are ahead. He tells them the parable of the rich fool, the one, you know, that built the bigger barns. And he told them this because he, he wanted them to not be so tied to the world, but be more tied to him and God. Much of his exhortation is similar to early teachings given in the, in, in, with the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus also adds new parables during this time as well. He talks to them about the slaves who were faithful when their masters come and, and do not let their house be broken into. He talks to them about the slaves that acted faithfully and honorably while their master was away. Things that we should be doing. He finishes his teaching to his disciples and to the people who had gathered to hear him. He knows that his cross and his resurrection are near. And he wants to warn them that an important time of decision is near. Who are you going to follow? Those leaders or me? 93, the parable of the barren fig tree. Jesus provides one more parable that warns the disciples of the consequences of not producing fruit. The fig tree in the parable was given extra time. It was given extra time to produce, but it would be cut down if it did not eventually produce figs. In all of the teachings, in all of the parables at this point, Jesus is issuing a warning to those who have thus far rejected him. 94. The healing of the woman with the spirit of of infirm. So Jesus is still in the general area of Jerusalem teaching in a local synagogue. Once again, he is faced with the challenge of healing on the Sabbath. And he does so. And in doing so, he rebukes those who would accuse him of sin for helping a woman who was definitely in, 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 a, in a time and a period of need. She was miserable. Luke says this. Luke says that the leaders were humiliated by his rebuke. But it also says that the people rejoiced in his answer. So are you thinking about that question I had for you? Two lessons that we can get from this. So in our next class, we'll continue this section as Jesus will once again go to the temple to confront the leaders during the Feast of Dedication. We're not done yet. I still got some more to to go over with this, but I just want to go and talk about lessons from what we've talked about. What lessons can we draw from this? Yes. Even with God, people will only follow him when they like what he says. (laughs) Yes, and that's the truth. Yes. But it didn't stop Jesus from preaching what he needed to be preached. Isn't that the truth? All right. Yes.
ah, I can show you absolutely the right answer and people will still disregard. Hmm, very good. Woo. You guys are hot. Anyone else? A man convinced against his will is of his own opinion still. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. The cost of discipleship. Is it cheap or expensive? Very expensive. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Ah, the religious leaders had the concept or a box that they expected Christ Jesus to fit into. And when he didn't fit into it, they rejected him. All right. Ooh, good stuff. All right. So then, two more lessons from the ones other than the ones you just gave us. Number one. Time does run out. The Jews had 1,500 years to prepare for that day. It seemed that their time would never end. But one day, their time did run out. God sent prophets. He eventually sent Christ Jesus to prepare them and warn them. But what did they do? They didn't listen. And what happened? They were destroyed as a nation in 70 AD when the, excuse me, when the Roman army ascended upon Jerusalem and destroyed the city and killed most of the inhabitants. Jesus sent his apostles. And in every generation after that, Jesus sends his preachers to tell people to be ready. It seems like the Lord would never come. But one day, time will run out. For us. For us. We're not doing 2020 hindsight and say, ooh, look at them. We're, we're looking right now straight down through the, through the, uh, the windshield, straight down the road. Number two, time to do good is now. Now, it's interesting how you all said what you said and how both, all, everything that was said kind of goes back to those two right there. The time to do good is now. And it was said like this. Whenever the opportunity and the will of God were present, Jesus did good and healed the people period he did this even when it was inconvenient he did it when it was dangerous he did it when it was unpopular 
for us. The opportunity to do good. The opportunity to serve. The opportunity to do right. Is not always convenient. It will not always be easy. But it must be seized when he, when when it can be done or when we can. You hear me say this a lot. We as Christians live in this realm of the good, the bad, and the ugly. God is the same during the good, during the bad, and during the ugly. And he expects the same of us during the good, during the bad, and during the ugly. He doesn't want us to be fair-weather Christians. He don't want us to be bad-weather Christians. He wants us to be Christians all the time, his children all the time. Last Wednesday, Tony was asking that question about... um, Sort of like (laughs) self-talk. Sort of like self-talk. And you know, we can self-talk ourselves too. So here's the closing thought. Don't talk yourself out of doing good. Don't talk yourself out of doing good. Don't talk yourself out of doing the right thing. Because you know... In the process of talking ourselves out of doing good, in the process of talking ourselves out of doing the right thing, if we are successful, if we are successful, we just might lose our blessing. I love self-talk, though. Don't get me wrong. Because, see, just like we can talk ourselves down, we can talk ourselves up. We can talk ourselves into not doing something according to the word of God. We can talk ourselves into doing something according to the word of God. So nothing wrong with self-talk. It's the conversation that we're having that becomes the problem. So thank you all for joining me today. Thank you all for your comments. Those were good. I didn't expect to get that many, but those were good. And again, it's neatly, nicely how they wrapped into what, what we have up there as well. So thank you again. And uh, we look forward to next week when we would do installment number nine. Thank you.